Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Vodcast. Yes, Vodcast, V-A-A-D-Cast, presented to you by the Vodarabonim of Queens. We will take you inside the world of kosher, meet the personalities, get a better understanding of what goes on in making products kosher. We hope to bring you fantastic guests and guests that are world-renowned that will really be able to educate you and to give you an inside look on how, what, when, and where. On this first episode, it's our great pleasure to introduce to you the COO of Orthodox Union Kashrus of the OU, Rabbi Maishi Elephant. He discusses with me the different challenges that Kashrus has today, even though one might think that things have gotten easier, things are a little bit more challenging. We talk about what's changed in the last 31 years of his career. We also talk about what's really happening with Arnold's bread. We hope that you will enjoy it, and we're sure that you will find it extremely entertaining and educational. Hello, everybody. My name is Rabbi Chaim Schwartz. I'm the Executive Vice President of the Vodabon of Queens, and this is the maiden voyage of our vodcast. Joining me today, I have the great privilege and honor of hosting, actually he's hosting me, Rabbi Vaisha Elephant, the COO of the Orthodox Union, OU, and he has graciously given me of his time to discuss the world of Kashrus, innovations in Kashrus, and the things that have been going on lately, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and the challenges that we have today. Good afternoon, Rabbi. Good afternoon, Rabbi Schwartz. It's a pleasure, as usual, to sit with you and speak with you. Um, I'm probably going to learn more today from you than you're going to learn from me, but that's always good when we have such a learning experience. Well, I'm honored. Thank you. So, Rabbi, uh, <laughs> tell me about yourself. How long you've been doing this? Um, I guess the right answer is too long, but it's not true because I actually very much enjoy what I do. I've been doing this for over 31 years. I've been here at the OU since October 1st, 1987. So it's over 31 years, Baruch Hashem. Um, and the world of Kashrus is, is a great world. You know, I tell people that I am extremely fortunate that although I can't say that every day that I come to work is an easy day, um, that wouldn't be true. There are certainly days that I have very significant challenges and um, headaches. But every day I come to work, I enjoy to come to work. It's a special bracha, it's a special blessing that somebody who enjoys what he does and feels that he's accomplishing in his career. So, as I said, I'm here for 31 years. I'm not COO of OU Kosher for 31 years, but we are... I am in a senior position here at the OU for close to 20 years. And Baruch Hashem, um, we've accomplished a lot with Siat Deshmaya and hope to continue doing so um, going further. Amen. I can understand where you're coming from because as administrator of the VOD, every day is a challenging day, but I find that one of the most rewarding things is that every single decision that you make has a direct impact on people's lives spiritually, at least. Right. You know, the way I always say it is when we were young, um, the definition of a religious Jew or a Jew that was still somewhat traditional was a Jew who fasted on Yom Kippur. And now all the studies actually say that the definition 
of a Jew that's still connected is one that eats kosher, or at least maybe eats kosher on Pesach, has a Seder. So what we're recognizing more and more is that, as they say, you are what you eat, and certainly your Judaism and your Yiddishkeit is very much still connected to what you eat, and we're able to help people eat kosher food and therefore stay connected to their religion and to Klal Yisrael. The, uh, we, have a, we have a WhatsApp group okay. that we uh, have, that we invite Balbatim to send us questions. And Baruch Hashem, we have over 200 people on our WhatsApp group. And I can tell you that questions come in day and night. The only time, it's, the only time it stops is literally the minute before Shabbos up until after Havdalah, depending, and, and it, most people, it looks like, keep the early Zman. But they should tell me a lamb bracha. But I can tell you that it's a very active group, and it's a very, it's a very active, dynamic group. And the, the questions that you get, and I know some of the people that are on it, come from all different types of backgrounds. And I must say that I think you can confirm this, that the kosher consumer today is extremely educated, sophisticated, and has, obviously with the Internet, much more knowledge than they ever did. I, I completely concur. I'll tell you how I look at it. Um, and again, this is you probably could do a sociology report on this. It used to be that a person, the people who kept kosher, on one hand um, recognized that if you want to keep kosher, you have to have a more limited diet. Not everything you could ha- want you could have if you keep kosher. On the other hand, not everybody was so into it with all the details and all the intricacies and doing it 100% right. What's happened now is very interesting. On one hand, people who are keeping kosher, a large population of the people who are keeping kosher are very, very concerned to make sure that everything is 100%. They don't want any shortcuts. They don't want supervisions that aren't 100% reliable, that they could feel they could truly trust. That's one side of the equation. But the other side of the equation is that they don't want to be told, well, because you keep kosher, you're going to have to have a limited diet. They want everything, obviously, not everything, but they want to have anything that's possibly kosher, they want to be able to have, and being told that if you're kosher, you're not going to have it, doesn't work. So it's a very interesting new type of consumer that we're working with. Well, I find also that with the rise of Instagram, especially, and the kosher cooks, uh, some of them, I've, I think uh, I've seen you uh, you know, uh, interviewed or discussed with them different things. Uh, food has become not just kosher, not just is it kosher or not. Is it good? Is it look good? Is the presentation good? Right. Is it you have this, you have that? It's it's unbelievable. Well, there's no question that the social media, besides that it's also the forum for our current conversation, there's no question that the social media world, which I'm not really such a big expert in, has had a profound influence on the world of kosher. People tell me all the time that there are these groups of, people, of different groups that are speaking about recipes that are literally worldwide membership and that there are different groups that are constantly speaking about different ingredients, where to find this ingredient, um, kosher certified, or if there's an ingredient which is less, just not certifiable, what do you recommend as a good substitute? And there's a lively discussion around that. And that certainly has become a very big part of our job um, 
being able to provide all these ingredients with a reliable with a reliable supervision, even though they're coming from all over the world. That's quite. Uh, it's a it's a difference. I think thirty one years ago, I don't think you ever dreamed of it. No, when I came to the OU thirty one years ago, we were not certifying nine thousand factories. When I came to the OU thirty one years ago, we were not certifying factories in over a hundred countries around the world. I'm not sure we were certifying companies in every one of the fifty states of the United States at that time, but all of those are real facts today. Uh, and probably, if the world wasn't such a dangerous place, we would be certifying products in more than 100 countries. Yeah. Just um, the North, safety, North Korea, maybe. Right. Um, but <laughs> the knows? safety of our mashgichim comes before your recipe. And if it requires a recipe in North Korea or Pakistan or different dangerous places, we're more concerned about the safety of our mashgichim. So let, now that we, we covered uh, you know, the, cha- the, the change, so I would think that the world has more access. You can get to places further. You can see products. Uh, I'm sure the the information that flows from the companies co- flows in a much more efficient and faster way than it ever did. Um, letters of certification, ingredients, Schedule A's, Schedule B's, all the things that we know about the vernacular. So I would think that things are easy. So, Well, in a certain way, you're 100% correct. Um, the world of technology um, makes it much easier. When I say it makes it much easier, um, as I just mentioned, we're certifying factories all around the world. And those factories um, want to be in communication. And because we have here at the OU a database of over a million ingredients that are kosher. So if you're a factory anywhere in the world, and you want to know if the ingredient that you want to use is a kosher, look it up on the database. If you want to find a source for one of the ingredients that you want to use, and of course you want to make sure that that source is kosher, just look it up on the database. So that's the good news. We've been able to harness technology, that's just one example, to serve the companies we certify and ultimately the consumer in a much more efficient, quick manner. But as you also know, Reb Chaim, it's created a world that people like you and myself, uh, you know, have a greater appreciation for Shabbos than probably our parents and certainly our great-grandparents and forefathers ever did because we are literally on call 24-6. Well, without Shabbos, I don't think we could we can continue okay. doing this job. You know, mashgichim are all around the country and all around the world. And if they have a question or they find a problem, we can't tell them that we only work 9 to 5, Monday through Thursday. They're out there, and we have to be available for them. Companies who have committed to being kosher, that's a serious commitment. And they have to follow that they only use kosher ingredients. And they have to follow certain requirements regarding process. And sometimes questions do come up, and it's impossible to tell an, a factory or a company which is working, well, the rabbi is sleeping now because he's in New York and now it's 11 o'clock at night. Or it's impossible to tell him, it's impossible to tell the companies we need a lot of days to research this. They can't afford to wait. The world we live in moves so quickly that nobody decisions need to be made incredibly fast if we want to remain a player, and we want to be able to be of service to these companies and to our 
customers. Well, then you also have the challenge of, of the, the, the areas where it's not so close to the United States, uh, let's say like the Far East or, right. or, or, or so we're the Middle East. Or right. So the Middle East is easier because we have an office in Israel, so we, and there are obviously plenty of Rabbonim in Israel that we could have the companies connect to. But the Far East is indeed a real challenge. Um, there's so many different challenges in certifying companies in the Far East. Obviously, there's a huge language barrier. Obviously, there's a huge time gap. There's a cultural difference. It's not just a cultural difference. It's much more fundamental. Many of these pe people who are good people and nice people never heard of a Jew, certainly never heard of a rabbi, certainly never heard what the word kosher means. And now you're introducing to them concepts that are really, really foreign to them. And they have to, with the best of intention, try to make sense out of laws that mean nothing to them. And that's really our challenge, to make this work. And, um, and it's not something that's optional, because there are many ingredients, many, many ingredients, that are only available out of the Far East. I was just sitting on last week the rabbi who I was speaking to was actually sitting on the chair that you, Rav Chaim, are sitting on now, that was telling me that he is the rabbi of flavor companies, one of the rabbonim that work here in flavor companies. Now, if you know anything about the certification of flavors, it's extremely complicated. It's extremely sophisticated. Your average flavor, the minimal, could have 100 ingredients, and then it goes up and up and up and up. And they're all very esoteric ingredients, um, ingredients that you usually can't pronounce the name of those ingredients. And he was telling me how some of the largest flavor houses have now begin to, begun to shift their production to the Far East. We always thought that the Far East would be limited to the simple ingredients, the standard, the garlics and the, and the salt and the citric acid, the, 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 the simple stuff. But what's really happening is that it's becoming the place for very complicated uh, and difficult ingredients, certainly f difficult from the eyes of a kashrus uh, professional from a hashgacha. And But we can't ignore the reality of the world and we have to make ourselves available to service them and give them good hashgacha. So uh, just on the on the concept of flavors, I think that the the, the average uh, it's a good segue. On uh, the average consumer, I don't think they really understand, or maybe it's not clear to them. I don't want to say they don't understand, but when when you're dealing with the flavor, I think that the, like you said, it can be a hundred hundred components in one flavor. I think the average consumer it doesn't get the full appreciation of what a rabbinic coordinator in any hashkacha has to go through in order to make sure that pick your food which, which, with whichever flavor it has uh, is kosher. You're 100% right. Um, you know, part of what's happened in the world, and it's a good thing, I think, is that people don't look at the ingredient panel anymore. Yeah, if I could just uh, cut in my father, uh, Shlita, who's, uh, you know, uh, who grew up <laughs> in, the, in the 60s, actually in the 50s, told me that that was how it was. You know, right. you, you looked at the ingredient panel. And that's how uh, you made a decision if you, can, you can't decision. eat it. Yeah. We've sort of eliminated that because you look for the kosher symbol, which is important. And you have to look for the kosher symbol. And it's a much better way to know that the food you're eating is kosher than making your own assessment, not to speak about your father, whom I don't know, but must be a good guy. Um, but 
not to make your own assessments just by looking at an ingredient panel. But if you were to look at the ingredient panel, if somebody who's listening and is bored goes to their pantry and opens up the pantry to look at the food that they're eating, that they're buying, they will see that virtually almost every food you buy, if it's not just a plain apple or pear, has in it flavors. So you look at the word flavor, and it sounds fairly innocuous, especially if you want to be healthy, you make sure it says natural flavors, not artificial flavors. And that, so to speak, makes you feel good that you're eating healthy, which is not necessarily the case, but that's not the topic of this program. And now you have natural flavors, and it looks okay. And you, the consumer, are buying a product with a reliable hashgacha. You know it has a hashgacha, so you're sure that the hashgacha must have done whatever it required to make sure that everything is kosher. What the consumer... What the average consumer does not recognize is how much effort is involved in that certification. Because like you just brought up, let's talk about flavors. A flavor is really a chemical compound. You're taking a number of ingredients, mixing them together to give you a desired taste. And I actually have to tell you that some of the flavor companies that we speak to say that flavors is not even primarily in the mouth because the first encounter you have with your food is before it's in your mouth. It's the Smell. fragrance. Right. So the wow. flavor companies don't only work about the taste, they also work on the fragrance, on the smell. Wow. So this is very, very complicated to take something, you know, you want to have a cherry flavor. So you want to have a cherry flavor, buy a cherry. But that's not how cherry flavor is made. You have to now be a food chemist to figure out what type of ingredients will mimic the taste and the smell of a cherry. That's very, very complicated. You're now going to have to be sourcing ingredients from all over the world. Now you come to us and say, well, we need it to be kosher. We have here at the OU a whole division, a whole division that just works on flavors. Rabonim and assistants that work full-time on flavors because every flavor we certify, they have to review every ingredient that goes into every flavor. So if it's a chemical, they have to sit and figure out what does that chemical mean. They have to know where it came from, what is it made of, what issues could there be on the production line. So now you've reviewed all of the f ingredients and you're comfortable that all the ingredients are kosher, which, um, which doesn't make, which sounds, which is a lot more complicated than it sounds. But we've, we've only begun. So w would you say that m most of the foods that we have today, and I'm, I'm, I'm not so much in the industrial end of it, would you say that most of the foods that we have today are made up of multiple flavors, Absolutely. Arti artificial flavors? Absolutely. In other words, the... The, the amount of flavors that you have that are purely 100%, I guess, organic or natural are very few and far in between? I would say differently. Even something which is called organic or natural... It's still composed. It's still complicated. Complicated. You know, one of the most complicated aspects of certifying a flavor is that many factories have a very, very expensive... Many flavor houses have a very expensive piece of equipment. The piece of equipment is called a spray dryer. A spray dryer, what it means is, it's not something that anybody has in their home, but a spray dryer will take a liquid 
and under certain conditions turn it into a powder, which is necessary quite often in the production of a flavor. But most factories, I don't know if there's anybody different, but certainly the vast majority of factories that have a spray dryer only have one spray dryer. So what happens if you're using that spray dryer for something not kosher? Or if you're using that spray dryer, not even if it's kosher, but it's dairy, and now you want to make parif. So you have to kosher that spray dryer. Very, very complicated to kosher the spray dryer. And now making sure that after you kosher the spray dryer and you have that spray dried ingredient to keep it separate and remember that this is the kosher one because only that one can be used in the kosher flavors. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's not so simple. Not at all. So now, in, in the years ago when you started, flavors were much more basic? Flavors, not every food had flavors. Right. And um, certainly, even the foods that had flavors, um, the flavors were much more simple. So the, the evolution, if I may use that word, has right. been dramatic over the last right. 30 years. So basically what you're telling me, if I can just say it in a nutshell, is that we don't realize the the vast n- breadth, knowledge, and amelis, if I can use that right word, that goes into the making sure that the flavors that we eat are kosher. Right, and flavors is only one component Right, the product right. that you just ate right. or you want to eat. Right. Right? Nobody's eating a flavor itself. Everybody's eating a food or foods that have flavor in them. And something else goes into it. Right. There, are a lot of other, there are a lot of other aspects in anything that you're eating. In other words, uh, uh, you know, we take it for granted, which is okay. We take a lot of things for granted. The average consumer, when he or she buys a product, and, you know, in the world that we live in, walk into the supermarket that has an, an incredible amount of foods that are kosher certified, reliably kosher certified, and assume that this is no big deal. You know, of course, anything, everything I want is kosher, and there's always such a variety. If, if the average individual would recognize the amount of effort that's involved in certifying a food from certifying every ingredient from having people all around the world travel to crazy places at all times at all hours of the day and night and obviously you you mentioned before the far east obviously if you're sending somebody to the far east he's not going for a day and coming back right it's just not efficient it's not economical so these are individuals that are sitting far away from home far away from a Jewish community, they're not able to dab a minion, certainly not during the week. They don't have a kosher grocery or a kosher restaurant. They can't they're, get pizza for supper. No, they can't get pizza, and they certainly can't get a, a, a flesh sugar dinner. They're eating tuna fish, right. if they're lucky. Right. And this is the way they live for weeks on, on end. So we sort of take it for granted, but there's nothing to be taken for granted here. I mean, a lot of people have to put in a lot of work. A lot of people putting in a lot of work and a lot of people carrying a very serious responsibility to make make sure that's working right. Right. Well, I'm personally familiar with a lot of the, many of the mashkichim for the OU and many other kashas organizations. I must say that, you know, uh, the, the, the fact that uh, I, I don't take for granted that I'm able to be at home every night, but these fellas... You know, they, they're, 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 they're not home too often, and they're doing I mean, it at Laman Hashem, Laman m- m- Many times I tell people, if you should take a moment, you know, during the week we're busy, so I don't know if it's fair to say during the week, but um, certainly 
on Shabbos when you're having an enjoyable Shabbos meal or if you're going to a nice Vat of Queens restaurant for dinner. And, and take a second to think how many people, and, and of course you're an individual that cares about kashras. Take a second to think how much effort went into making this food that I had tonight, this enjoyable, lavish, delicious meal, kosher. And, and it's, it's worth thinking about that. And I'm not suggesting that we make a new bracha to bench the mashgichim. That's my job. But um, certainly yes. to think about them and appreciate the work that they do in a much more favorable manner. That's 100% true. Now, let me ask you a question, though. Uh, is there anything, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, is there anything particular that's, that's coming up in the cautious world that you can share that uh, that you would care to share that uh, is that is that is something which is not which is not simple or sophisticated or something that the consumer should know about. Uh, I don't. Again. I, I, I I don't think. Well, the, the way I always answer that question. Let's start this way: is you know when people wherever I speak, the first question or one of the questions ultimately is, so what's new? What's new? Give right? us the inside scoop. Right. So my answer to these people is, what isn't? And as what product? Are you looking for to be certified that you go to the supermarket shopping and you say, and you walk by the shelf with this product and you say, you know what, I wish this product was OU certified. Tell me which is that product. Because I'm not, nobody ever has a, very rarely do I get a good answer about it. Certainly, if there's anything that is certified that I, that, that I can't tell you about, I won't tell you about. <laughs> but I want to tell you one thing I do want to say. And I don't know if this was on your agenda to discuss, Chaim, but I want to speak about this for a moment, if I may. I'm sure many of your listeners heard about the recent tumult about the Arnold's bread. Yes. So let's talk about that story because there's a lot to learn from it. Yeah, in fact, uh, on my aforementioned WhatsApp group, uh, there was almost a revolution uh, amongst the subscribers. You know, what are we going to do without our Arnold's group, Arnold's bread? I can also tell you our stores. Um, I didn't realize this until now. I don't know. I think you might have realized it until now, but I don't know if you did either. There is not that much non, let's call it Heimische, power of bread out there except for the Arnold's. So maybe us in New York, we're able to access it, and you know, we can go to our local stores in Queens or in Brooklyn or Lakewood, wherever we might be, five towns. But for Amcha that lives outside of the, the, the tri-state area, Arnold's, it seems, was a staple that was not possible to get – there was nothing else to get besides absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. So just to, to to bring everybody up to speed. Right. There was a... By the way, I think in journalism this is called a scoop. Uh, okay. Okay, good. So if it's a scoop, you got it. <laughs> so what happened was um, Arnold's notified us. Like you said, Arnold's has been under the OU. Actually, I'm the one that wrote the contract with Arnold's about 30 years ago. It was my first big contract I wrote at the OU. And Arnold's has been with the OU a very long time. And Arnold's notified us this past summer that they were going to eliminate kosher certification on a lot of breads. Now, now they're, they're, they're the Bimbo Breads? They are owned by a company called Bimbo Bakery Bimbo out of Bakery. Mexico. Okay. That's what they notified us. Um, we were very concerned. We were very concerned because, as you just said, Reb Chaim, a lot of people in our community around the world, around the country, rely on this bread as the kosher bread. Um, and we started speaking to them, 
and we in fact had agreed to a meeting, which I'll talk about in a moment. But what happened in the meantime was that as the consumers became aware of what was happening, so there were two different things that happened, and I'll speak about both of them. One thing is the disinformation, misinformation. Well, that, that's, that's a big thing in social media today. Right. So what happened was... One of the big drawbacks. Right. So we got the notification about Arnold's Bread. The same company, Bimbo Bakeries, that owns Arnold Bread, also owns Thomas Muffins, also owns Entenmann's. So somehow or another, and we still don't know from where, this decision or conversation about Arnold's Bread, all of a sudden, all the blogs and all the articles were saying that they're dropping kosher altogether. Including Entenmann's. Including Entenmann's and including Thomas. And that might have been even more catastrophic for some people. Yeah, that was actually very, for me, very traumatic. Right. Because growing up, Entenmann's was a very big part of our, you know, of our of our life. Right. So that was one. Number two, we learned something which we've learned many times, but I guess you could always learn it. Many consumers reached out to Arnold's, to Bimbo, and said, "This is important to us." This kosher supervision is important to us, uh, and we're very disappointed with this decision. So we had the meeting. So first of all, they never intended, and they don't intend, to drop Thomas or to drop Entenmann's. They're not even on the table. Well, okay, let it go out from here. Entenmann's is not losing its hashka. Right. So that's A. B, regarding the breads, they said that they heard the consumers and, and, and I always say this, the, the average consumer does not realize his, his or her power. When they call a company and let the company know what's important to them, it does make a huge difference. And they heard the consumer. So they told us, and we're still in the middle of talks with them, that they are intending to keep kosher on breads. It may not be the same extensive variety that we always had, because they, in general, they said that they're eliminating some varieties of bread. There's some breads that they want to make dairy, which we won't certify dairy bread. But they're certainly intending, and that's in a serious way, to keep the variety of kosher Arnold bread. That anybody could have a kosher bread or kosher bun for the hot dogs or burgers moving forward. And this is a great study, what kosher represents in 2018. Right, because a lot of times people think that, you know, we, like you said, we take the OU for granted, and the companies, sometimes they reevaluate if they want to c- continue with the kosher program, and if they're hearing from the consumer that this is a product that's that's of to them, that's important to them. It makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. A huge difference is the right word. It makes a very, very serious difference, and this was just one more example of that um, situation. Okay. I think, uh, I think I've taken up enough of your time. That uh, okay. Arnold's thing was very, very interesting. And okay. I can tell you that uh, even, like I said earlier, our stores are very nervous about it. It's, it's, a, it's a very good seller. Right. And uh, it's important to have power of a bread. It's important and to so make. Can you imagine if your stores in Queens care, think about the stores that are in Georgia and in Memphis. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, the there's a lot of Jewish communities that don't have a, a bakery. They don't have a local Jewish, local Jewish bakery. Local Jewish bakery anymore. Sure, and Arnold's is, is always fresh and it's good. It's right. a good product. Right. It's a good product and people rely on it. Okay, I want to thank you very much for your time. 
And uh, Mitzvah Shem, I hope that uh, we can do this again sometime. It was very and enjoyable. Mitzvah Shem, I think so too. Time really passed quickly, so that's a good sign. And, uh, and, and, and Chaim, you should be able to continue your great work. You know, right. we at the OU are primarily focused on the national Ashgachas, on the companies, on the Arnolds of the world. But people like you and your VAD, who are out there in the front lines dealing with the grocery stores and the butchers and the bakers and the caterers and the restaurants, which is sometimes the hardest part of kosher supervision of Ashgacha. And, and certainly, I know you for a long time, you didn't start with the color beard you have now. <laughs> and I probably could figure out from where it came. I, I You know, you should have siyata deshmaya to be able to continue your great work. Thank you very much. I appreciate the bracha and your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at vhq at queensvad.org. Again, that's vhq at queensvad.org. Please feel free to subscribe at queensvad.org and to receive all of our content, including the podcast, the weekly Shabbos podcast, and our newsletter, and for updates and news. Thank you, and have a great day.